Oh ho! Hello, 2022! It's My Bloody Warcast, and we're back, baby! This is the first time Carrie and I have been recording inside without the noise of his backyard and the cicadas since the pandemic started. Yeah, it's it seems like a generation ago that we were doing this regularly <laughs> inside, inside of four walls. And uh, yeah, it's good to it's good to do this again. This is also our sixth <clears throat> season, which is hard to believe, but a great measure of our friendship. It is. We've made it through. And all the crazy stuff in each of our lives, here we are. <laughs> and, the, and the world, here we are, back again. And for the 2022 Horror Oscars. Yeah. I feel like 2018, 2017, 18, 19 were, I think, some of the best years of horror we'll probably ever see. I think since then, 20 and 21, that's really good things. But I feel like there were fewer films I loved. There were just a lot more to see. Hmm. in 2021 but you know there's there's a lot of ways to look at that i definitely think there's been a huge shift in horror movies 2020 forward i think 2016 might be my high point in horror movies for a minute at least for foreign horror movies oh that was the year the whaling came out yes I yeah loved it so much. what a great one oh and i still haven't gotten around to watch the medium i believe i don't know if it's the same director or i think you're right i haven't seen that either but yeah so and really this year a lot of my films tended to be American horror films. I, I had a hard time finding a lot of the great foreign films, so there, you know, there there probably will be some notable omissions from the international horror film scene mm-hmm. um, yeah. this year. Before we jump into our Oscar award winners, I think we should talk about what we've recently watched. Yes, yeah, let's do that. So I've really been concentrating on new stuff primarily because I really had a lot to catch up on, not just for horror, but even for my just general films of the year. So. But one that was really interesting, it didn't make my horror Oscars list, but I found it really fascinating, especially the backstory of his movie, Sator. Oh, I wanted to watch that. Yeah. I saw that pop up on a lot of people's best of lists. It's really interesting, and I, I hesitate to give all of it away, but basically the, the general idea is this movie's been filmed over the course of six, seven years, slowly but surely. And you look at the credits, the director is the cinematographer, is the producer, is the writer, is the grip. Mm. is the editor like he did everything he's a one-man machine he's a one-man machine but what's interesting is he originally had a completely different idea of the film the film is it, it seems pretty simple there's a weird a family in the woods and they're haunted by some force and i won't give a whole lot away other other than that you know i do think it's worth watching just for you know it's kind of a horror curiosity but what's interesting is he evidently the film that we see is totally different than we started with he started with a different film and then he read his mother's journals, and evidently his mother had some measure of mental illness, and she had created a character named Sator in her journals. Mm. This is real life, evidently. If it's not, it's a fantastic fake story. And so he started reading her journals and realized, oh, this is the movie. Whatever I came up with is not the movie. What the movie should be based on is these weird writings in real life that his mother wrote to this character named Sator. It's very creepy, actually, when you think about it. And his mother is the mother in the film. So it's it, it almost feels like a, a pseudo-documentary in a way, because so much is based on real life. But that was a strange one. It's very much a slow burn. I mean, this is the era of slow burn horror films, right? Mm-hmm. We are in it. The Witch kind of set it off. A few other films, but I think The Witch is a, is a, a great example of it. So not much happens, but it's very atmospheric. Some interesting... Oh, he did the score as well. Um... Some interesting, uh, some interesting visual aspects. Not a whole lot happens, but I do, again, I think just for atmosphere, 
it's it's interesting, and I think it's at least worth checking out and knowing the backstory. Yeah, uh, that sounds awesome. Definitely something I want to see, too. I'm just going to do two back-to-back only because they go together, and that Ooh. is that I watched two Paul Verhoeven movies that I hadn't seen. Interesting, okay. One is Flesh and Blood from 1985. Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, well, it's a totally odd medieval epic. Jason hated it. I loved it, but... <laughs> Listen to this cast. Jennifer Jason Lee, she's this bratty, resourceful princess. Mm-hmm. Rutger Hauer is this magnetic sociopath leading these, like, raiders. Sounds exactly like Rutger Hauer, yep. Susan Tyrell is a wacky wench. And the Nazi from Raiders of the Lost Ark is this insane cardinal. Oh, he's back. Okay. Yeah. There's full nudity. There's a baby in a barrel. There are weaponized dog parts. There is so much rape. I cannot say that enough. It's a really heavily flawed movie, but I guess I can't hate a plague period piece that's this odd and raunchy and has such a good cast. It's very Verhoeven. Verhoeven seems to be obsessed with rape. That's a whole other thing. I don't know what the deal For is there. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, some, some weird psychological but, stuff going on there. But just to tie into that, one of the movies I've seen this year is Benedetta, which played at Cine for maybe just a couple weeks. That's right. I think it's going down as one of my favorite Verhoeven movies. I feel like it's not widely enough seen to give anything away yet, so I'm just going to say it is cinematically elegant with these painterly Tuscan settings and Mm. two beautiful leads, but it's also hilarious and sleazy and dramatic and at a couple points very upsetting. Hmm. Virginie Ephra, she plays the title character. The Mountains of Virginie. <laughs> She's so convincing in her character, and Charlotte Rampling's in it as the abbess. All-time classic. All right. Interesting, okay. So yeah, my other one that I saw recently, again, it didn't make it onto my list for this year's horror films, but it is a, a 2021 release. Uh, the Boy Behind the Door. Oh, I meant to watch that as well. Yeah, uh, David Charbonnier, I suppose that would be, directed this one. It is one of those films that starts perfectly. It is incredibly suspenseful, and it draws you in, and it's really stress-inducing. You have two, two young children who are kidnapped by some unknown person and are locked in a house. One of them is able to get away, one is stuck. Mm. And so the one that is able to, to free themselves tries to leave and then really decides he has to go back and save his friend. You know, there's two young best friends. Lonnie Chavis and Ezra Dewey are the two actors, and they're both really good, um, Lonnie Chavis in particular. And it's one of those movies that starts out really, really well. And as it goes on, sometimes when you strip away the mystery and the, and, and the sort of the unknown, the movie loses movies in general, or movies in general lose some steam. But man, that first 20 minutes just blew me away. Jeez. Well, also definitely on my list... I feel like I'm often an easier critic on movies. I'm a little, I know, I'm a, yeah, I get a little. So I, I suspect I might not be as disappointed or frustrated by an ending. I'm a little stickler for some of that, but. We'll see, though. Okay, well, the third one I'd share is, this also didn't make my list, but it's a 2021 movie. It's Jacob's Wife. Did you watch that one? No, I didn't, but it's Barbara Crampton, who I still, I've, I've had a crush on Barbara Crampton ever since... I mean, we'll reanimate her from beyond for sure. Ever since then. And she looks like she hasn't aged in 20 years. Barbara Crampton is still so hot. She's a goddess. She's a horror movie goddess. She'll never hear this podcast, but Barbara Crampton, that you are you are amazing. And I haven't seen Jacob's Wife, and that is my bad. I dropped the ball on it. 
I really enjoyed it. I think you'll like it too. So it's Barbara Crampton as the wife of a minister who's played by Larry Fessenden. And I knew I was going to love it because they were so good and we are still here as a couple. Yes. Yeah, they were. They really were. Yeah. And the way this movie starts off, I thought, oh, this is going to be a slow, serious look at a stale marriage, the limitations on women, particularly housewives. And it touches on those themes but it's also a slapstick vampire movie. Holy water's being splashed around. Vamps are getting staked. Heads are being ripped off. I just, those two leads, they just have this really easy, believable chemistry. I, I totally buy that. And I, I will be seeing that. And I hopefully will be talking about that in a future episode. It's also really refreshing to see a movie where, a genre movie where the main characters are older. Like, I want to say they're supposed to be in their mid to late 50s. You don't see that much. Where, the, where both leads are correct. All right, that's what I got. Cool. Yeah, it's Oscar time. It's Oscar time. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, categories this year, I think you said we were going to start with best costume design mm-hmm. of 2021. Do you want to start off? Sure. I wonder if a comment you made earlier means we picked the same one. I picked Odile Dix Mario. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's for Last Night in Soho. Correct. I, I, I say, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yep. <laughs> I didn't like this movie. I There were a lot of things I didn't like about it, but the styling was perfect. It's the swinging 60s and fashion probably couldn't play a more critical role. Like the lead character is a fashion designer. Yes. These outfits are so connected to the history and the murders of the movie. If I could have picked a, a non-original soundtrack that was my favorite of the year, it might actually be the soundtrack oh, for last time. So, so you get the... You get the costume design, the soundtrack are probably the best. I thought the visuals were great too, but yes, but yeah, um, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page for that <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. My uh, my follow up was kind of an odd or honorable mention, we'll say, sort of an odd one. Saint Maud. I still haven't seen that either. Can you believe it? I loved it. I love the movie in general. It'll, it'll come back up here. It, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, you know, it it goes from being very spare. It's almost a, a nun horror film. You know, this is a, a a true believer who was helping this woman through. Um, you know, she's a caregiver, but the but this this woman's also a socialite. So in the scenes where Maud, this very plain woman, a very plain pious woman, goes into this very sumptuous party, it was it, it, I think because the rest of the movie is so so spare uh, that all of a sudden when she gets into this party scene, it just feels alive and vibrant. And I got some of the same sort of vibes from Last Night in Soho, even though it's fairly brief, so. Mm. Well, I will make sure to watch St. Maud ahead of our nun horror episode, which we're finally doing this year at some point. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, it's going to give me a chance to watch The Devils, which I've never watched, which you oh. you said, hey, if we're going to watch these three, Steph picked the ones that we're going to do for the nun episode because you're a little more steeped in that genre. And I'm excited about watching Ken Russell's The Devils as well. Uh, I love a nun. Do we want to move on to Best Soundtrack? Sure. Best Soundtrack 2021. I really loved this movie and I loved nearly everything about it, including the soundtrack. And it's Ben Lovett, who's, I guess, been a composer for 140-some films uh, and TV shows over the course of his career, but it's The Night House. Mm, Still have to watch that, too. One of my favorite... You know, our ghost stories never... It's the gift that keeps on giving. Ghost stories are just part of horror history across the world and, and, and across time. This was a great ghost story, but also the soundtrack, I, I feel like, fit perfectly with it. 
some great little piano hits right where they need to be and it's very spare but it really it's really unsettling it really sets the the, the mood for the film so uh, yeah I thought the, I thought the score was great I, I listened to the entire soundtrack I believe actually on YouTube the other day that's awesome and again one of my one of my favorites of the year so yeah cool need to see the night house what you got I went with Daniel Hart's score for the Green Knight ooh that's another movie where uh, I'm not sure it was quite right for me, but I thought it was so perfectly put together for what it was going for. It's atmospheric, dramatic. These these landscapes are so epic. And I think Daniel Hart's score really suits it. It's, it's mm. awesome. So I just listened to the full soundtrack. I was trying to think back any movie that had a good soundtrack, and that's the one I'm going with. Right. Yeah, The Green Knight was an interesting one. I felt a lot of different ways about it. It didn't make my list, but it is gorgeous, and it has some fantastic scenes in it. I thought the maybe the sum of the parts are better than the whole for me. But. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I don't ever run her up again, so you're going to have to take it away. No, that's that's the only one. That's that's the one I put down. Oh, yep. okay. I'm All good right. with that, though. That's, that's the one that really moved me. There were a lot of great soundtracks this year, a lot of great original soundtracks. You know, so, I mean, you could you could pick eight or ten that were fantastic. This one just, you know, elevated itself a little bit for me. All right. Best visual effects. Best visual effects. What you got on that one? I went with um, Stamble's Queen of Black Magic, the remake from 1981. Ooh, yeah. Which uh, I missed. I've seen the original. I saw mm-hmm. the original last year, but I missed the new one. Well, I'm not familiar with Stamble as a director, but we are, Carrie and I, recent fans of Joko Anwar, who oh. wrote the screenplay. Oh, Joko, I don't know if, I, I hope you know how much we love you and how much we've tried to spread your films to fellow film and fellow horror film fans, because we think you're great. Those movies, I feel like they're very mainstream. They are. Just in Indonesia. And the effects are so creepy. Definitely better than all the Conjuring Universe stuff we've got going on over here. I'll go with that. I'll go with that. I think that's fair. For me, this this one was, you know, there were a lot of great gore effects all throughout the year. I've no doubt about that. I could put, you know, Antlers could be right up there as far as great gore effects this mm-hmm. year. The movie I think we both talked about, we liked, we didn't love, but the effects were fantastic. That might even be a runner-up. But the, my, my favorite, and I think it's just the, the scope of what they did in this film, is The Deep House, Thomas Duvall. The movie really was, the movie is about a haunted house underwater. You're basically, you imagine the, the writer director was just like, hey, Haunted House Underwater. Let's throw it together and see what happens. Happens to be a great, a great ghost story, in my opinion. But the fact that they created this entire underwater set and filmed it, again, most of it, most of the movies underwater, it's 75% of it, 80% in this set. And they had to constantly switch, move the set around to get the right shots. So, I mean, it oh. took a long, long time. And logistically, evidently, it was like a, a, a fast move, like a, you know, super level Tetris film that they're having to move around, on, you know, on the fly. And so I, just for that, I, I really thought it was great. And then, you know, there's there's a little bit of gore in there. It's not a really a gore film. What, what what gore was there was great, but it was really just the the way they were able to make these sets look look real and, and, and so scary and creepy underwater. Mm. Well, I always want to see an aquatic horror too. So the Deep House, the Night House, I want to see all these house movies. You got to watch the Deep House stuff. As much as Steph and I are unabashed fans of underwater horror in general, you got to see this one. Oh, yeah, totally. Is it streaming anywhere? It is on, I found it on Paramount Plus. All right. So, which is like, I think it's like six bucks a month now. 
of course, add that to your $500,000 that we all spend on streaming services now, so monthly. Okay, well, quick comment on best visual effects with antlers. There weren't a lot of jump scares in that for me, but the, mm-hmm. the scene that really got it, spoiler, is that you get to see the Wendigo wearing someone's face. Okay, that's the best scene of the film. And it was Scare-wise. so creepy. It was really creepy. You know what it reminded me of a little bit? Was that really creepy scene in the Philip Kaufman, the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm. where there's that one scene near the end where the dog is walking with the human face. Ugh. That still, still is creepy to me today. However many, you know, 40 plus years later. But no, I thought that was, I thought that was a great, a great shot. And the Wendigo creature looked really good. I, I'd say Antlers is probably a, is definitely an honorable mention there. Mm. And then, if I can say one more honorable mention. Of course. Even though I think we have different feelings about the film in general, Malignant. Oh, the yeah! Of, the effects of Malignant are fantastic. There was a visual effects team like 46 people, I think I've counted. I can't say enough good things about Malignant. I certainly love the effects. That crisscrossed out demon. I just love everything about it. The karate moves, the backwards moves, the insane sped up matrix moves. Everything going on there is awesome. What a wackadoodle movie. <laughs> absolutely just nutty okay well i mean if we were just going and not trying to like spread it around i would say malignant in every category available because (laughs) there's nothing i didn't love about it oh no here we go (laughs) all right well let's move on best supporting actress who do you have best supporting actress so this is a tough one there were a few i'd say my top one and i'm I, i don't know if i'm pronouncing her name her last name correctly likely not jennifer l or ellie E-H-L-E from uh, St. Maud. Okay. She is Maud's patient in the film. And she's been in a lot of films. I mean, she's been in a bunch. Um, going back to Sense and Sensibility in the 90s. And she is just wonderful. In a film where Maud, the central character, is hard to decipher and closed off and often very quiet, Jennifer is sort of the is kind of the polar opposite of that. She provides sort of the life of the film, the warmth of the film. And I thought she was just fantastic. You know, she's a socialite suffering from all sorts of physical ailments and depression and all that. Mm. Um, But when she comes alive in certain scenes and and breaks out of her shell, she's really, really great. She's a very tragic character. And I thought she was awesome. Wow. I have to see St. Maude. I can't believe I haven't yet. I was so excited. I really think you, I'm surprised you didn't actually, uh, because it really is, it's right up your alley. Uh, well, for my Best Supporting Actress, I picked Nita Josie Hanna. Mm. She plays Mimi in Psycho Gorman, the little girl. <laughs> and she's so bratty and confident oh. and sure of herself. You don't see that in many... Well, first, you don't see many child characters in horror movies that aren't a foil to the plot. But the kids mm-hmm. are the plot in Psycho Gorman. That's true. And I, I want to say this might be her first role. She's terrific. I'm a big fan of Mimi. <laughs> what a cool, fun movie Psycho Goreman was. Total throwback. Yeah, that's um, one of my favorites, too. Oh, yeah. And then Diana Rigg, who is the house mother in Last Night in Soho. She's always great. You was know, that better, her last movie? Veteran actress. It might be. It might actually be. Am but, I making um, up? Did she not pass away? She passed away in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's like that likely is her last film. Oh my gosh! But uh, she was great. Yes, that is her last film. Correct. All so, right. 
Well, she was great. Bearing that in mind, she's also my honorable mention. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. That's fair. That's fair. There were so many things I wish went different in Last Night in Soho. Mm. I'm totally on her side. I wish that she had chopped up this young fashion girl and put her under the floorboards with the Johns. It doesn't happen. Spoiler. But Diana Rigg, awesome. She is. Yeah, be careful. We should always say this at the beginning. We are going to spoil some films Mm -hmm. for you tonight. Okay, so that was Supporting Actress... Should we go to supporting actor? Yeah. I have Rufus Sewell as racist Dr. Charles in Old. I couldn't figure out how to shoehorn Old into my Oscar picks. And then I was like, wait a minute. Rufus Sewell is so good. So in Old, these characters are rapidly aging over the span of a day. Mm -hmm. And they're all coming there with ailments. And I can't tell if Rufus Sewell's character is supposed to have dementia or if he's supposed to be schizophrenic. I couldn't figure that out either. It's, it's likely a mix of both, it seems. I don't know. But his racism, his violent outbursts, and his confusion keep cycling around. And he's one of the only characters that seems, I don't know, a little scary in the movie. Yeah, the movie's not scary. Um, he, he, he is a little scary. So mine was... It's kind of a weird one. The movie, again, I think was fine. I, I, it wasn't in my pick for a lot of other categories, but it was a, a fun little movie. Boys from County Hell is the movie. Uh, you can oh, find it on... I haven't even heard of that one. You can find it on Shudder is where I watched it. And it's a, an Irish horror film mm. uh, that came out this year. And Nigel, o- Nigel O'Neill is the father of the main character. Francie Moffat is his name. That's a great name. And he's a hard, hard character. He's demanding. He's He doesn't understand this current generation. Doesn't give a flip about him either. But when push comes to shove, he's going to be there. He's going he's gonna to have your back. He comes off as unsympathetic for much of the film, but, but he has his redeeming moments. And I really thought his performance sort of buoyed the film around all these kind of younger characters who are trying to figure out their life and are sort of, you know, kind of screw-ups. So I really liked his performance in that. Wow, that is a pick I never would have guessed because I've never even heard of this movie. It's, I mean, I really dug deep, uh, I'm just saying. And then if I can do an a, um, honorable mention. Please. <laughs> uh, my one pick of anything from old. Um, I really like Alex Wolf, And I don't know if I'm giving him a, a career kind of retrospective here. I think his role was very hard to play in old. To go from a young child, you know, to go from this young child to all of a sudden in the span of a day becoming a teenager and then get your girlfriend pregnant and it's just it's bizarre it's absolutely bizarre i thought he did it pretty well the movie overall is ridiculous and even his role is totally ridiculous but somehow to me he pulled it off he also was in pig which is one of my favorite just films we take out horror and just talk about my favorite films of the year i thought pig is one of my absolute favorite Mm, films of the year i loved it too he is the supporting actor in that and he is excellent in pig he's excellent you know i have noticed that he's popping up in more things and i was thinking back he's in uh, my friend Dahmer, Ooh, which like, i never saw the okay. guy telling the story and stuff ah. and of course you know his big breakout role was hereditary obviously he's picked some cool roles he has i i, I am interested to see where he goes uh, from here i'm never gonna say no to including something from old what the hell? I'll give him my runner-up spot, too. Old, old, <laughs> there we old, go. The best. <laughs> Alex, you're in, buddy. You got a consensus. All right. Best 
actor. Who do you have? Best actor. Oh, okay. So this is, you know, watching Antlers tonight kind of changed a little bit. And I feel like it's a little unfair because everything Jesse Plemons is in, he's likely your best actor in the film or or maybe the most compelling actor in the film. Maybe he doesn't have all the meat that the best actor gets. But Jesse Plemons is amazing. He didn't make my list. And then I started to look into it tonight and I'm like, I don't know if he gets a main or an honorable mention. It's, I'm very, very confused right now. Mm. Um, but he's right there. Sam Richardson was my top pick for Werewolves Within. Oh, damn. I want to watch Werewolves Within so badly. But I think it's still only uh, video on demand, right? It might be. I think I watched that on the Plex server. He is just one of the most likable actors in the game right now. Couldn't agree more. He was on Veep, which I just watched a few episodes of recently. I don't even think I've gotten to the meat of his role. What great show. First time I thought he was really funny was in Mike and Dave uh, Need Wedding Dates, which is ridiculous and fun and... I have a soft spot for any member of the Workaholics crew. But uh, yeah, Werewolves have been just a blast. You know, it's based on the video game. It's silly. It's fun. It's a little bit of a whodunit. It's, it's definitely a mystery. You know, you're trying to figure out who's the werewolf. And he's just great. He anchors the film. Without him, the film would be fine. With him, the film is much more engaging. Mm. He, he, you know, he he plays this this sort of hapless character who just wanders into these crazy situations and tries to make the best of them and always seems to have the moral center that the rest, the rest of the cast is lacking, completely lacking any moral center. So Sam is the guy who hold, he is the glue of the film. I watched. I think you should leave the sketch comedy. Did you watch that on Netflix? You know, I I have not. I have not. And I, that was I my introduction to, to Sam Richardson. Oh, ah, okay. I'm all about it. He's so cool. And then the only other thing I've seen him in is um, Promising Young Woman. Mm. And because he's so likable, I'm like, please do not let him be a rapist. Please do not let him be a rapist. And he's not. Everyone Good. rest easy. Sam Richardson, always likable. He's he's actually slightly unlikable in his brief cameo in Ted Lasso. But even then, he's super engaging and awesome. And that's okay. It was kind of nice to it. see him play, play a little bit against type in uh, season uh, two of Ted Lasso, also from this past year. Now, can I give you one more honorable mention? Because um, Yeah. Okay. So this is one of my favorite films of the year. It didn't make my favorite film of the year, but my gosh, it is right up there. It's Friedberry. I absolutely loved Friedberry. It's completely bizarre, and yet somehow, as much zany, bizarre, off-putting stuff that happens in the film, there's a real humanity to the film at the same time. You know, an alien life force showing humanity in humans that most of the humans around him, around it, don't even have. Which I thought was kind of the, that I feel like that's the point of the film. So Gary Green is the titular character. He's Barry. I cannot believe his name is Gary Green. It's Gary Green. <laughs> he sounds like a 60s musician mm -hmm. from some, like a folk band, I feel like. But he is a stuntman, an actor, and a jeans model. <laughs> Gary Green. And he looks like, I mean, I'm not joking. It seems like the casting director was walking through the streets of Cape Town, South Africa, where the, the film was was mostly uh, filmed, I believe, in Cape Town, or at least in, around. And it seems like they they found saw a man sitting in a pile of garbage on the side of the street and decided that he was the main character and just plucked him up and asked him to be in the film. Because that's what he looks like. But evidently this guy, I mean, he's the real deal. He's evidently a, you know, a multi-talented performer. I, th I thought he was great. I thought he was great at it. I can totally agree with this. And when I first saw him in Friedberry, I thought of like the dude from Die Antwood. 
Yeah, Except yeah, yeah. Dialed up to Bizarro Land with crazy eyes. Oh, totally. But you can't. Th- that's the thing about. That's not how you know a performance is great. You cannot take your eyes off the performer. And in Fried Berry, he has these piercing, what kind of greenish, piercing eyes throughout the entire thing. You, you, you can't look away. Yeah, so I, I really, I, I kind of want to go back and watch some more South African films with him in it. I don't know that there's much that he's done, you know, on our side, but wow, he was great. I would love to see what role he could possibly do after Fried Berry, so keep me in the loop. Would love to know. He may be typecast now, yeah. <laughs> Well, my best actor is Yaya Abdul-Metin II, mm. who plays the lead in the new Candyman. Yes, great he, movie. He, man, I loved Candyman, and I had a hard time because I think it's what I would have gone for for best picture if I were going for the movie that objectively I thought was the best mainstream horror movie that came out last year. Mm. But it's not what I ended up choosing, so I wanted to make sure it was on my list in some way. And he plays this visual artist who becomes obsessed with the urban legend of Candyman mm-hmm. and kind of morphs throughout the movie. And I thought he did such a good job. And his only crime is that he's too attractive. <laughs> you, like, you see him walking around in a beanie, like going through the, this old project area, and you're just like, too beautiful. That that was a little bit of my only issue. He's obviously a very good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when he's like going kind of crazy and losing his mind, that's why I'm like, oh, all right. He's really bringing it now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't really think I have a runner-up for best actor, though Fried Berry is not a bad pick. <laughs> that actor is... You know, I'd actually blocked Fried Berry from my mind. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, that dude just looks like a freak. He does. And I'll say this. I think any adventurous horror fans should watch fried berry it is not for the faint of heart it's an alien movie i feel like it could have been an apex twin like music video it could have absolutely the score is just this in your face aggressive like almost early 2000s techno (laughs) (laughs) you know you get a lot of that in it there's some there's some good dance uh nightclub scenes with uh lots of nbma to blame Mm. (laughs) all right moving up to cream of the crop best actress Best actress, what you got? Again, poor pronunciation, but Agatha Rossell in Titan. She mm. plays the lead Adrian. Which I missed, which I have not seen. Oh my god. Okay, so Carrie and I saw Raw in the theater. We both absolutely loved it. And this is Julia Ducarneau, the director's follow up movie. Yes. I think it's a wilder and more interesting movie than Raw. Oh, okay, okay. It's really playing around with gender with misanthropes with psychopaths with sex with cars it has a lot of things and this actress is so beautiful and so terrifying and goes through this physical transformation that just has to be seen on a on the biggest screen available to you Mm. it also has the best dance numbers at the start and near the end of the movie that I've seen in any movie in a long time. I'm never going to forget it. I'm okay with some good dance numbers now in a horror film. Who do you have for best actress? Uh, let's see here. So, once again, there were a number of great performances. I thought there were a few that really stood out to me. And, and this is hard because when you get mainstream actors in horror films, it's hard not to go for them. So, I mean, Rebecca Hall in The Night House, she's, she's fantastic. Mm, she's she's just, always good. She's always good in everything. And she's excellent in The Night House. And she carries the film. I mean, the film... Is her. I mean, she's on screen the majority of the time. It's all about her plight, her search, 
her pain, her horror. She's great. Again, as you can tell, as I said, I, I love the film. It's probably one of my favorites of the year, if not my favorite. And her performance completely anchors it. It makes it all feel um, like it hits very, just very close to home. Like you, you, you really feel for her. So I thought she was great. All right. Okay. So I think on my to watch list, I'm putting the night house at the top because you've mentioned it so much. I think it's worth it. Now it is, you know, it really is just kind of a classic ghost story. I will say that it's not going to be like a fried barrier or titane. You're not going to see something you're like, oh my God, I haven't seen that before, but I think it's done very well. And I think it is creepy. There's a couple jump scares and I think the jump scares are done very well. And there is a little bit of a mystery again, which I really liked. My, uh, if I can say a runner up, Please. That would be, again, another a- an actress that I haven't seen or heard of. Maybe I just haven't watched anything she's in in a long time. And that's Carrie Russell in Antlers. She's just great. She's a woman who's undergone a lot of childhood trauma and is working through it. And she gets to, she does get a chance to sort of work out her demons in a, in a way. She is just excellent, kind of riveting the whole time. I, th- I thought her performance, again, her and Jesse Plemons... Without the two of them, I don't I don't know if the film is nearly as good. I love Jesse Plemons, and I love him more and more as he's taken on these kind of sad, pathetic roles. I mean, he I don't know if anyone does it better. It was sad, kind of long longing looks. He's the the king of sort of the off camera look. What is he thinking? Where's he going? Oh, there's <laughs> such a small town sadness about the character in Antlers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I ha- yeah, I have to imagine in real life he must be this boisterous, fun character, and maybe he just you know he he just channels it for the films. I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. Got to get it out somehow. Carrie Russell in Antlers was excellent, and you're right. I don't know the last thing I saw her in. Maybe Waitress. Yeah, she was really good in that. That that came out forever ago. I know. I'm sure that she's done other things. Carrie, we're glad to see you on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Good job coming back. Oh, one. Honorable, honorable, honorable mention. Yeah. Morphe Clark, again, the, the title character in St. Maud. She was great. Frightening. So much boiling beneath the surface. Questioning everything she believed throughout the course of the film. And you watch this sort of character arc take place. She's terrifying. She's kind of mousy and, and sort of, at times, almost appearing sort of weak and sad, but she's also a monster in some ways. Uh, monstrous. Yeah, she was great. Again, another character in the film that you just can't take your eyes away from because there's something below the surface that you, you're you you're trying to figure out exactly what that is. What, what's that emotion? What's that agenda? She does it very well. Yeah, well, St. Maud also up there on my to-watch. I feel like you covered a lot more ground for 2021 movies, and I have some catching up to do. I really went for it, though. I, I, spent, I spent a lot of time <laughs> watching a lot of movies. that a lot, a lot of them were good, not great, and then some that were just fantastic. All right. Best director time. All right. Okay, I have to start with my runners up because... Ooh, I like it. I almost went with James Wan for Malignant <laughs> <laughs> for Best Director. I okay. almost did. All right, Because now. I... Malignant brought me so much joy. I cannot believe that movie exists still. Same. And I think James Wan really deserves like some sort of nod because The Conjuring Universe, very cool, definitely brought a whole genre of movie to the big screen. Mm-hmm. I love the first Saw movie. James Wan's great. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for his Tommyknockers movie, James Wan. Yes, let's let's see it. Yeah, maybe um, a, a, a career, uh, you know, retrospective. Yeah, you look back at it and yeah, he's great. 
But I ended up going with Julia Ducourneau. I'm like, mm. all right. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. really knocked it out of the park. Titan is incredible. Nice. 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 So my, uh, yeah, well, the last two would go honorable mention first. Mine would be Rose Glass. She wrote and directed St. Maud. It is her first film, first feature film, full length. And she has a very assured grasp behind the camera. You get the sense that she's doing everything she wants to do in the film. It's, uh, again, it's very subdued in in parts. And when it needs to not be, it's done very well. She gets great performances from all the characters in the film. The writing is good. Again, spare, but really well written. I, I, I really like what she did with with Saint Maud, and I'll be I'll be interested to see you know what she does uh, in the in the coming years. So I thought that was good. So that was my honorable mention. And wait, who is your best director? Well, okay, so my best director would be David Bruckner in The Nighthouse. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep, Nighthouse wins another one. It's just great. It's uh, like like I said, it's uh, it's a ghost story. It's a mystery. It's it's kind of everything I want it to be. And maybe part of it too is I saw it at Cine with my friend Josh Jones. He's a, a local photographer in Athens, and we oh, went. Josh is great. You know Josh, yeah. Uh, this this is probably July or August of this year of of a twenty one, and when we went to see it, we were the only two people in the theater. That's the best. It, it was the best, and it was that it was still during that time when we were getting over. What was it? The Delta variant, I guess. Was it, was that it? Which variant was it? Anyway, yeah. the variant at the time. It, it all feels very foggy now. So I didn't really want to go. That was the first film back. I, uh, well, I saw Godzilla vs. Kong, but again, that was that was sitting in the back of a massive University 16 theater, right? Nighthouse, you know, Sine's, that's our local theater, our local indie theater. The uh, rooms are pretty small. You know, the theater is pretty small. So it was just he and I in there. And in the, uh, in the scenes where you're supposed to jump, we jumped. So sometimes movies work in particular environments really, really well. Maybe it wouldn't work so well in a packed house. I personally think it would, but I think it was especially effective being the only two in the theater, and being really creeped out. There's nothing I enjoy more than watching a movie in a movie theater. And Mm. 2021 was also me going back to the movies after not going in 2020. And my first movie back was Spiral. I did not think it was a good movie, but I'm glad that a Saw movie lured me out. (laughs) Oh, Spiral. Oh, man. Yeah. Chris Rock is Sam Jackson's son. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're so close in age. Sure, sure. Yeah, that to- <laughs> totally, totally works. Suspension of disbelief. It's great. All right. It's the best category of the night. Yep. Best picture. Best picture. This is the one that we're all waiting for. Ooh, you've got to kick it off. Okay, I'll kick it off. You go last. All right, so my honorable mention uh, was Candyman. It was you know written and produced by Jordan Peele, co-written and directed by Nia DaCosta. It was a really interesting update of the Candyman legend. I thought it was one of those films that, again, sort of like what I felt the way I felt with Saint Maud. It does exactly what it wants to do. It's have some really wonderful creative moments with the uh, the shadow puppets, and it takes Candyman and puts it in under a different lens, right? So you don't have a white British director this time. Mm-hmm. You've got an African American female directing it, which which seems right the way the Candyman legend, uh, the you know the way it all plays out. You know, I think she does an excellent job. I think I think there's uh, she navigates the territory really well. I didn't find it particularly scary. I actually find the first one a little more scary. But even that being said, I think it's a really creative and interesting film. Candyman was my runner-up as well. Mm. And for many of the same reasons, I love original Candyman. Yes. But there are some things that in the year 2021, 
when I was watching New Candyman, you do sort of think back like it was a white man directing that Candyman. He did feature actual people like living in the area, but they're not real characters. They're kind of just part of the setting. Right. And I don't have an issue with necessarily a white person directing it, but you need to have representation, right? Mm -hmm. That's important. And so to see this Candyman, it just felt like the characters were more vibrant. There were more characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the shadow puppets were so beautiful. I agree, it wasn't scary. No. I wanted it to be scary, and that's that's probably what I would say held it back for a little bit for me. I also want to say I objectively think it's the best picture of 2021. Mm, Okay, okay. But it was not my top pick. No. I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Carrie. My favorite movie of 2021 was Malignant. Okay. All right. There we go. There you, there you have it, folks. Watch it twice. Bum, Ready to watch bum, it a third time. Bum. Malignant James Wan's wackadoodle movie. Uh, <laughs> I cannot get enough. I just still cannot imagine what his pitch must have sounded like. And he, here's the thing also. James Wan has built up enough currency that he could probably... He could pitch anything. And I think his produce, the producers would say, we're just going to go with that. I, I really do. I think like James Wan can do anything because he's helmed all these massively popular... And, you know, the films that he actually directed against the first Saw, first Conjuring in particular, are really excellent films in each genre. What was the one with the ventriloquist dummies? Oh, uh, was it Dead Silence? That movie is surprisingly creepy and awesome. It's fun. He he really is good at that stuff. This was this was a different one for me, yeah. But no, I'm glad. I mean, no, hey, it I, needs to have a champion. In the way that Jackass Forever is going to be the movie that brings me the most joy in 2022, Malignant brought me the most joy in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it is just wild. And it is. I had it, so it's, much it's, fun it's, with it. Yeah. It's silly and there are laugh out loud moments, but it's also... He put so much thought into it, too. Like, it's not just for laughs. It's for laughs, over-the-top, insane action, wild violence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Loved everything going on. (laughs) All right. What's your best picture, Carrie? And I guess this will come as no surprise. The Night House. Yeah, it just is. Produced by David Goyer, directed by David Brugner. It won a lot of awards for me this year. And again, you know, sometimes movies are, maybe if I watched it five more times, maybe it would lose its, its luster a little bit. But I just thought it was great. And can I say, if I had a third honorable mention, it would be another, the, insert word here, house. That would be the deep house. Just because it was so fun and cool and, and it's an underwater haunted house movie. Yeah, that's cool I mean, that hell. just in and of itself, I love it. So yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, that's it. I mean, were there any movies you watched last year that you think are worth mentioning, but you couldn't just fit it on your award list? So yeah, I would say that my top five of the year were Nighthouse, Candyman, Friedberry, Werewolves Within, Saint Maud, with runners of Deep House, Fear Street seventy eight, and Sator. And Fear Street seventy eight didn't come up in there. Fear Street seventy eight's fun, but I could, you know, it's not great. It's just a lot of fun. Let's see, where were some of the others that that I uh, really enjoyed? I mean, Slumber Party Massacre was fun, the, the, the remake. I loved the made-for-sci-fi channel Slumber Party Massacre reboot. Which usually when you hear made-for-sci-fi before something, you're not going to say, necessarily always say, I love that. But yeah, in this case, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Truly the most feminist take on a Slumber Party Massacre film. Sure. All the films have been directed by women and written by women, but this one definitely is the most feminist of them. Mm-hmm. These women are great. 
So those, so really yeah, fun. I would I would say those are the ones. I mean, I I saw a lot of horror films this year that I thought were okay. They were just okay, but those were the those are the big ones for me. <laughs> well, one thing we what didn't about touch you upon <laughs> because I think we were both a little disappointed was Halloween Kills. I don't. I know. I didn't even want to say anything because I I thought that the the 2018 David Gordon Green Halloween was one of the better reboots I've ever seen of any franchise reboot. It was everything I wanted Halloween to be. You brought back Laurie Strode, Jimmy Lee Curtis, you bring, you know, I think because it was so good, I felt that Halloween Kills couldn't possibly live up to it. I was just groaning at all the Evil Dies Tonight chanting Mm. and just the stretched out hospital scene in general. But I want to highlight a couple positives for Halloween Kills because I'm still excited to watch the next Halloween movie. Oh, same here. I'm I'm, going to watch it the opening weekend, I'm sure. The Myers House. If we were talking about one of the coolest houses in any horror movie released last year, what that couple did to the Myers home, it mm-hmm. looks so good. Mm-hmm. And the other scene I really enjoyed was the firefighter massacre scene. Oh, that's a, every time I talk to friends about Halloween Kills, we can all agree that's probably the most creative scene in the film. That's that scene rules. It does. If, if you're never going to watch the film, you're like, should I watch a scene for a watch the firefighter scene? That's that's the one to watch. And I felt like I couldn't say enough about it, but I really, really loved Psycho Gorman. I recommended it to so many people. It's so fun. It's so creative. I can't get over Psycho Gorman himself and the Hunky Boys. Loved him. Lots of really fun practical effects that are cheesy on purpose. Some purposely cheesy and some just creative and fun. Yeah, that, that was a really, really, really fun one. If you want to see some creative creature designs, this movie has it. Oh, in spades. Yeah. And then the last one that I really couldn't fit in an award category, but that I enjoyed was Slacks. I'm fond of movies about a possessed article of clothing, loved deer skin, and this is not like that at all. Not artistic, very silly. This is about a possessed pair of jeans, and I almost thought about doing it for best costume design, but truth be told, these jeans are very unattractive. <laughs> I still love the idea of bloodthirsty jeans. We can't have unattractive jeans in our best costume design category. Yeah, no way. But I will say it's worth watching jeans that love Bollywood music. Mm, okay, I'm with it. I'm totally with it as far as the Bollywood music. Those were kind of the only movies I wanted to mention that I couldn't find a way to earlier. Yeah, there were, there, again, there were a lot of ones that I enjoyed that I but didn't love. And so I feel like the list I made, I, you know, the ones I loved, I really, really liked a lot. All right, we've made it through. This is our sixth horror Oscars. Snap and carry. Unbelievable. For our one fan out there still listening to us, <laughs> who was like, oh, they must have given on, up on this years ago. It, it seems like that. Hey, we're, we're semi-back. <laughs> Here we are again, making another promise that we're going to record more regular episodes. We've burned you before. It likely won't be the last time, but we're going to try. We are. We have crazy weird schedules that don't always work together. You have 20 jobs, and I have a main job and then 20 other like pursuits and different creative things I'm doing. So it, it is really hard for us to get together. But when we do, we always have a great time. We love the horror Oscars are kind of the anchor for this show, right? I mean, we love it. But we uh, we hope to be back with some more episodes this year in 22. So. We will. It will. None, and, and, you know, coming down the pipeline, none horror is definitely going to be there. We're talking about doing a uh, exploitation. Yes, yes, with our friend, good friend Kate Hernandez. So there's there's some things coming. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you for anyone still listening, and we're excited about movies in 2022. Just like zombies, we're back from the dead. All right. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.